0: Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is from Revelations 22, verses 18 through 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Beloved, it is wonderful to see everyone this morning. We've got a good crowd here and we appreciate that. Visitors you are and we're going to say it several times, but please know that we mean it each time. You are our honored guest and we're so very grateful that you've come our way this morning and we appreciate you being here. We do want you to stay and eat with us afterwards. That's why we call this our, our family and friends day. And and um, I always try to preach along the theme or whatever we've got going on in the congregation at certain times. And so since this is our family and friends day where we get together and eat and meet and greet and be sweet and have fellowship, then I thought I'd talk about eating today. That's always a, p- a popular subject, right? So, <clears throat> brethren... I want to talk about the most expensive meal in history. We're going to read from Genesis three in a few minutes. If you want to be turning there, Um, there was a few years back. This guy named George Bean—that was his actual name—of Palmdale, California, stopped at a local Burger King and ordered uh, four sandwiches at the drive-through window. At that time, they cost this. His bill was four dollars and thirty-three cents. Well, he gets to the window. He's in a hurry, and and so he hands the girl at the drive through his debit card, and she absentmindedly punched in the numbers, and she punched them in again. And uh, he did, she didn't catch the mistake. He didn't pay attention to it when she handed him back the receipt. And so he gets uh, a bill from the bank, and uh, he finds out that his bill for those four hamburgers was $4,334.33. Um, needless to say, that caused some consternation amongst his, che- his finances, um, and so uh, the local newspaper picked up on it, and they, And the title of, in, the, in the article was, The Most Expensive Meal in History. But they were wrong, brethren. There's been even more expensive meals than that. I want to share a couple of them with you today, okay? Um, one is, um, uh, this, the, they start the article by this. It's called, The Most Expensive Meal in the World. And says, there's no doubt there's some expensive meals on the menu. Um, If our appetite is enormous enough, you have a bank account that's very large, then maybe this 10-course gourmet uh, meal uh, would appeal to you. It was served by the Dome, D-O-M-E, restaurant in Bangkok, Thailand. It served up what has been billed as the most expensive meal ever. Um, The people that prepared this meal were six very world-famous chefs. They were flown in from France and Germany and Italy, and of course, the clients um, uh, were very rich folk, and the, the uh, uh, things that were on the menu were also flown in from several different parts of the world. The guest list was made up of 15 people that had a lot more money than evidently they knew what to do with. Um, and uh, the, uh, They said the wine list a loan was estimated to total around $200,000. Um, and this is what some of the things, brother, I'm not going to name them all because it is an extensive list, but let me tell you what, these people paid about, um, what was it, $30-something thousand a piece. Uh, this is what they got, some of the things they got, not all, 10-course meal. Um, one was caviar, oysters, crawfish. I ain't paid no $30,000, and I've eaten crawfish before uh morel mushrooms scallops black truffles lobster uh let's see what else let me let me get there real quick uh, ravioli how <laughs> I mean y'all had ravioli but they also had guinea fowl okay uh saddle of lamb whatever that is uh, they had pigeons <laughs> you get them in any big city right Veal cheeks with truffles. I guess you get the cheek off the veal and it's good. Their dessert was imperial gingerbread pyramid with caramel and salted butter ice cream. Um, now they paid a ton of money for that, okay? But beloved, that still wasn't the most expensive meal in the world because you fast forward a few years, and this guy he in, does this article called "You Can't Put a Price Tag on Good Company," or can you, um, brothers and sisters? A fellow by the name of Warren Buffett, you all know who he is. Uh, um, he said, "Patrons of the world's most expensive lunches are those are there for one thing, the company of billionaire investor, industrialist, and philanthropist Warren Buffett. Um, in the last for the last decade, Mr. Buffett has hosted these what he calls power lunches to benefit the Glide Foundation, which is a a, a, a foundation that he supports in San Francisco. And um, he said the they they auction this meal off on eBay." And you get to spend so many hours with Mr. Warren Buffett. You can bring up to seven people with you. And the highest bidder gets to spend that day at a very fancy restaurant in Manhattan with him. And, uh, and they do it because, brethren, they earn make tons and tons of money by getting his advice. They can ask him any third question they want. And, um, and so the, the highest bid recently on eBay was $2.63 million. That is wanting to eat with somebody pretty bad. But in this case, at least they're gaining wisdom and things in their mind that they feel that like that's a good investment that is going to get a good return on their money. But brethren, these are still not the most expensive meals in the history as they are. Now let me tell you something. In my mind, all of these, if you read the menu and everything, you see all these things, but they're still, you know what I'm thinking, brethren, I'm thinking we ought to do that and put it on eBay and have an auction. Because if people would pay that kind of money to eat pigeons, then we could do pretty good here. We, we need to raise some money for our new church building, right? Uh, you know, uh, those folks in, in Bangkok, man, they ate ravioli and guinea and pigeons and, and veal cheeks, and they enjoyed it. One lady had to quit at the eighth course. It was a ten-course meal. She said, oh, the human senses can only take so much. I'm thinking, sweetie, you come down to South Georgia. And we'll feed y'all. Now let me tell you, we're gonna have some good food here in a little bit, y'all. And and I this is my menu. This is what I would fix up. And these people would think they done hit hog heaven, okay? Um I'll tell you what, the South Georgia shelves, let me name 'em. And 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 these folk, boy, they give you that lip smacking stick to your rib southern cuisine that we talk about. Troy Black would fry fish and hus puppies. Mike Coggins would grill chicken or steak or anything he puts on a grill because it's magic. Chris Carter would and Henry Spivey would grill up some Boston butt. My wife would have homegrown collard greens with pepper flakes. Dorothy Carter's, of course, famous chicken and dumpling. Betty Fletcher's potato salad. Cheryl Herring's cream peas. And then for dessert, Ann Lina Burgers, banana pudding or sweet potato pie. Miss C. Schultz famous strawberry cake, and uh, Kaylee Martin's spinach dip, and some good old-fashioned sweet tea. Brethren, we could pay for this building three times over with that kind of cooking. Them folk don't know what they're missing. We, man, I, you know what? You may have eaten all over the place. I've asked some uh, students in my classes in to morning, what's the most expensive amount you've ever paid for a meal, and and you know the mountain, anywhere from seventy to hundred bucks, you know, and that's really splurging it. When my wife and I was first married, our idea of a fancy restaurant was a uh, uh, Wendy's. You know, uh, we'd upgrade from McDonald's to Wendy's. Um, and, and growing up, brethren, in our family' a seven-course meal was a possum and a six-pack. You know, so I mean, I mean, you get all this good eating today, and man, you, I mean, that's some good stuff, brethren. But let me tell you, we still haven't reached the most expensive meal in history. Look at Genesis chapter 3, because no matter what meal a rich person might buy these days, the cost of what they'd purchase pales in comparison to one of the most expensive meals in history, and the one we're going to read about in Genesis 3, the first eight verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Indeed... As God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Brethren, the devil knew God said that. God knew he said it. Adam and Eve knew he said it. So why does he even bring it up? See, the devil likes to put doubt in your mind, doesn't he? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. She's quoting God. From the fruit of the garden of the trees we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, notice there's something wrong there that she quoted, but we're going to get back to that. The, per- the serpent said to the woman, you surely no- will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Oh, that's a temptation, right? Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her. Adam was there the whole time. We're going to discuss that. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves. First time they ever had to do that. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Brothers and sisters, this fruit, this meal, cost Eve and Adam more than they ever wanted to pay because it literally bankrupted them and our world. Before sin came into the world, it was a paradise. And the thing is, it wasn't even the best food on the menu. The Bible tells us that God had given Adam and Eve as um, every tree from which uh, they could eat at except one, and that they were good. And uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, And the Lord God made all kinds, or some versions say every tree, to grow out of the ground, trees that are, were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So they had a whole garden full of good food they could have eaten, brethren. It wasn't like this was the only choice so then that was that was true they had all the things all the trees all the different ones they could eat from then why did eve do it wouldn't wouldn't it be easy to say uh you know the devil made me do it but that's not even what she says there was a whole lot more than that brothers and sisters they picked the wrong item on the menu because they chose to do so you know Somebody says, oh, Brother Green, I go to Mama June's, and they just so much there on that menu, and I overeat every time, and it's like it's Mama June's fault. No, it ain't. (laughs) Brethren, we the one slam it on our plate. We the one go back for second, third, and fourth, and then hit the dessert bar, right? It ain't nobody's fault but our own. Nobody puts a gun and makes us go to Mama June's. You know, And so, listen, we choose to disobey God, and this is exactly what Eve chose to do. That was her choice, brothers and sisters. All the devil could do was tempt her, and he's good at it. We'll give the devil his due, but he could not force her to do what she didn't want to do. And so Satan may have talked her into it, as we would say. Uh, The Bible says as Eve, and she's answering God as to why she did it, she said, she deceived me. We're going to look at a verse in the New Testament that says the same thing. The devil deceived her, all right, but she knew what God had said. She quoted it, brothers and sisters. She knew God commanded her not to eat of the tree. She knew God had said that those who ate of the tree would die, but she chose to eat of the tree anyway. She made some bad choices. Satan says to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat from that tree, you know? And she and she quoted God and said, yes, he said that. And she says, um. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Eve's response was, You must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you may not touch it, or you will die. Brothers and sisters, God never said anything about not touching that tree. Now, it's probably good not to, but that's not what God's command was. We're going to see a pattern here, and you say, Oh, Brother Green, you're making a big deal out of this. No, I'm not, brother, because it's happening in the world today. The devil's really, really good at it, okay? Uh, <clears throat> what did what, uh, God say she couldn't do? God said in chapter 2, verse 17, she could not eat of the fruit. What does Eve say that she couldn't do? Eat and touch the fruit. You say, well, obviously, Brother Green, you've got to touch it, eat it. You're not just going to walk up there with your mouth and go (laughs) on the tree. I I would assume you're going to pick it first. But brothers and sisters, that's not the point. God didn't say she couldn't touch the tree. He said she couldn't eat of it. and And Eve chose to add that little bit to the scripture, to God's word. So, so she chose to add to God's commandments. She chose to add to God's word. She chose to, as it were, improve on what God had already said. And brethren, you say, well, what's the big deal, Brother Green? She just added one little bitty caveat. Here's the big deal, brothers and sisters, because that was all the wiggle room Satan needed to tempt her. And he knew it, brethren. He knew it because he understood that if he could get her to compromise God's Word in one way, then that was his door opening. That gave him the wiggle room he needed. Because once you get used to the idea that you can change God's Word or improve on God's Word, when you believe (coughs) that you can change it when you want to, because after all, you know what's best, then you can accept that you can tinker with God's word for your own life, then it gets easier and easier to do those other things that God had commanded and change those the same way, brothers and sisters. This is a tactic of devil. You don't believe me? You think he just did that with Eve? You look at the world today. How many people have you personally studied with, and you show them book, chapter, and verse out of God's word, and they'll look at it? I've had them say this to me, and I quote them: "I see it, preacher. <clears throat> it's in the word." and it's as clear as the nose on my face, but then what do they say? They don't say it's as clear as the nose on my face, so I certainly need to obey it. You know what a lot of them would say? But I feel in my heart. And so what they feel in their heart, what they want to add to or take away from, becomes their standard. And brethren, when you start doing that, the devil has all he needs to take you in the wrong direction. That was Eve's first mistake. If she'd have been adamant about what God said and only what God said, Satan might not have saw a little bit of wiggle room there, but he did. Brethren, once you get used to, as we would say, improving on God's word, you end up being the final arbitrator and the ultimate judge of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable and what God says. And, <clears throat> brethren, a lot of people do this today. There's There's... Certain denomination that have gone so far as to say, well, you know, the Bible is a good book as far as it goes, and it's got good principles, but you really can't accept it literally, you know, and 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 after all, we have to adapt it to our modern day culture, right? Y'all have heard all of that, brethren. You, there's no limit to what you can go to, and the devil knows it. And, and so what may seem to us a little bitty thing, a lot of people would read over that and not even, not even pay attention to it. But Jesus did because uh, Jesus says once you start doing that, once you start adding those man-made additions or subtractions or making those improvements uh, to God's command, our worship becomes vain is what Jesus tells us, right? Um, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Brethren, why would God be uh, adamant about opposing these so-called improvements or additions that mankind wants to make? Because, brethren, that's the way the devil can deal with the trials and temptations of his life. The, the, uh, is the only way we can deal with them is by uh, clinging to the pure and unadulterated word of God, brethren. The psalmist said in Psalms 119, 11, thy word... Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? But brethren, what happens is we don't just put the word in there. The old devil gets us to add stuff, and then before long, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're making excuses, and we're justifying. That's the way the human nature works. It's like taking medicine, isn't it? You know, uh, Revelation 22, 18, and 19 also mentioned it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get ahead of that. I t- just as was read. I testify everyone who hears the words of the prophets of book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Read Revelation and look at those plagues, brethren. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophets, God will take away from his part of the tree of life. He mentioned the same thing that, that started with Adam and Eve. And from the holy city which are written in this book. Beloved, that is serious stuff. We don't take it seriously sometimes, but God Almighty does. Because, brethren, how many of us in here really believe we can improve on what God has already given us? He's perfect. We can't do it. But the devil's good at getting us to kind of believe that, right? And it's like, it's like taking medicine, brethren, okay? You go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a prescription, and you take it to the pharmacist who uh, uh, is going to fill it and give you the instructions on how that medicine be, should be taken. And if you follow those instructions, you should get good results. You should get well. But if you add to the prescription, you can end up in a lot of danger. And a lot of people do that, brothers and sisters. Let's just say you don't tell the doctor you're taking another type of medicine or another two or three kinds of medicine, and it may be dangerous to mix those two kinds of medicine because they can end up counseling each other out or having some horrible results, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, those two medicines can actually be dangerous if they're mixed together. And so a wise patient takes a list of all of his medicine to his doctor and, and lets him see that. I, I know many physicians require you to do that when you first come on as a patient. I knew of a situation where years ago a man's doctor told him to take one aspirin a day for his heart. And so he was a very smart man in a lot of ways. But he figured, well, if one aspirin is good, then two's going to be better. So he started taking two a day. He added two, the word of the physician. And so for uh, every day, for a long time, he took two aspirin. Then one day his nose began to bleed. No big deal, but he couldn't get it to stop. And it continued to bleed, and it continued to bleed until he ended up in the emergency room, and they found out what the problem was. He had taken two aspirin instead of one. He added to what his doctor told him to do. Brothers and sisters, we cannot add to God's Word. You you know, I don't don't hear people, they say, I believe in the Bible, but my horoscope says. Or the psychic tells me, you know. Or I believe in my heart. You can't add to God's teachings with the teachings of the discovery channel or the history channel. Brother Green, I know what the Bible says about creation, but, boy, they make a good case for evolution, you know. You can't mix the pure medicine of God with the vice of oftentimes ungodly psychologists or sociologists or teachers of evolution. And most importantly, brothers and sisters, you can't mix the commandments of God with the man-made doctrines of various people out in the world. You can't do that. Well, actually, you can. Because, see, God has given us choice. And you can do like Eve. You can add to God's word. You can do that, brethren, and people do. But sooner or later, Satan's going to use it against you. And it's going to come back and bite you big time, just like it did against Eve. So Eve started out by making a bad choice. She added to God's word. And that's the avenue that Satan took to deceive her uh, for the rest of the way to get her to do what she knew she wasn't supposed to do. So, so Satan tempts her. <clears throat> you know what he does? He, like Eve, brothers and sisters, Eve just added one word to what she said about God's word. Uh, you can't touch it. And then the devil follows suit, and he just adds word one. She said, Eve said, the day you you t- uh, eat of it, you will die. And what does the devil do? The, the, the devil adds one word, okay? And what does he say? You shall not, one word, surely die. And so Satan. You know, she'd gotten used to not fully trusting in God's commands because she was adding to the Word. So if she can add to the Word, then the Satan can add to the Word, you know. And he said, you're not going to die. In fact, he probably said something like this, brethren. We don't know. We weren't there. Um, you know, he probably said, you're not, you're not even going to get sick. You know, there's no consequences to your choices, you know. You can dabble with this sin and that sin and all these little sins out there. It's not going to hurt you. Why, Why you can be bitter and vengeful and hateful and lustful and, and all that you want to and unforgiving and holding a grudge. You can hate. You can be sexually active. You can be proud and selfish and, and self-righteous. And it's not going to make a big difference at all because, after all, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. There's no hell. There's no eternal regret. You just do what you want to do, Eve, and as long as you do it in a good conscience and feel it in your heart, it's not going to damage your soul at all. It's okay because, after all, God lied to you. You're not going to die. God said you were, but you're not. And so she was deceived, brothers and sisters, and because of that deceit, Eve chose to disobey God, but at least Eve had somewhat of an excuse, a pretty miserable one, but she was deceived. You know what, brothers and sisters? The Bible tells us that Adam wasn't deceived. He was there, as we just read. And uh, 1 Timothy 2.14 tells us the woman, Eve, was deceived and became a sinner. And so it it acknowledges that she was deceived, but Adam was not. The Bible continues to say in 1 Timothy 2.14, and it, it was not Adam who was deceived. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay? So, brethren, if Adam was not deceived, then what caused him to do it? well, His excuse was, God, that woman you gave me. But God didn't buy that. So who gets the blame for sin? Eve was the first one to do it. Eve gave it to Adam. She, She was the source, as it were, to get Adam to eat the forbidden fruit. And yet, who does the Bible blame for sin coming into the world? Romans 5.12, sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin. Who's that? Not one woman, brothers and sisters, but one man. And who is that one man? Verse 5.14 goes on to say, uh, chapter, Romans 5.14, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a commandment as did Adam. Brothers and sisters, why does Adam get the blame? He was not deceived. But it gets worse. Genesis 3, 6 says Eve took some and ate it, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Where was Adam? He wasn't in the house doing dishes. He wasn't in the back 40 harvesting some crops. Brethren, Adam was with Eve when Satan deceived her. He watched it. So maybe he's thinking, oh, yeah, he got Eve, but not me. I'm not deceived. So he was there when Satan accused God of lying, basically. He was there when Satan said they wouldn't die. He was there when Satan implied that they'd have all kinds of knowledge and advantages and they'd be just like God if they just ate that fruit. But the Bible says in in the Old and New Testament, Adam was not deceived. So why on earth would he eat the fruit? Brethren, we can use that sometimes. You know, oh, so-and-so tricked me. They deceived me. But brethren, Adam wasn't deceived. So why did he eat that fruit? Why did he choose to disobey God? Well because he chose to now there's a big question as to why he did that if he was not deceived why would he do that we could probably ask for your uh, opinion today and maybe get some you know the bible doesn't tell us but brothers and sisters let me conjecture here for just a minute. let me tell you right up front this is not scripture because the bible doesn't say but it is intriguing as if he wasn't deceived then what would cause him to do it and um I'm thinking this, okay, and, and and you can contend with me on this because this is my thinking just from looking at the Scripture, but uh, God has said very plainly to Adam and Eve both that on the day you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. That's chapter 2, verse 17. Eve eats of it. Adam's watching. She don't go, and fall over dead. She didn't die. We don't know how long he waited, but maybe he waited for a little while to see. (laughs) I'm going to see if she's going to kick the bucket before I take a bite of this fruit. We don't know, but but how? For whenever it was, he decided to eat. The Bible has something to say about delayed justice, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes eight eleven. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are are given fully to do evil. Maybe that verse fits Adam's case. He did, you know, it, the 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 sentence was not quote executed quickly that day. It didn't happen, and so maybe his heart was given fully to do evil. Then, okay, Second Peter two, uh, chapter Peter three verses three and four. <coughs> It says basically the same thing with people that were saying there wasn't going to be a second coming of Christ because, after all, it hadn't happened for a long time. And he said, for know this First of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fellowship all continues as, as it was from the beginning of creation. Saying, Okay, the Lord's not going to come. Why? Because it's delayed. Because it hasn't taken qu- happened as quickly as they thought. And, and so, brethren... Like many, and like Adam, uh, you know, uh, and Adam may have concluded that God really didn't mean what he said. And so maybe just a few seeds of distrust was grown, right? Well, God said the day you eat this you're going to die, and Eve ate it and she didn't die. I don't know if that's the, his thinking exactly, brothers and sisters, but it does make sense to me. And, and, it, and it boils down to this, with Adam and with us today, we need to trust him. I hear people say something, like, Brother Green, they talk about that delay, you know. I've been praying for a particular thing for years, and God hasn't answered me yet. And, boy, I'm just getting discouraged. And, and I'm thinking that God's really not going to do what he says he's going to do. Brethren, we can't do that because, a second, Peter reminds us to God as a, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. His timetable is not our own, but we can really get that convoluted and mixed up. we got to trust God, brothers and sisters, when we're facing trials and tribulations in our our. our our life we got to trust him okay we've got to trust god we got to trust his word we can't add to it we can't take away from it we've got to believe it we've got to trust and obey as we sing brothers and sisters we need to be sure we do that because adam and eve didn't do that and that's why they failed that's why they were tempted eve failed because she didn't trust god's word she had to add to them and they both failed because They didn't really trust God entirely. And they ate one of the most expensive meals in the history of mankind. It cost them, and it's cost the whole world. But, beloved, (coughs) when I say they ate one, they didn't eat the most expensive meal. We did that this morning. Right here. The costliest meal Ever doesn't cost the church much to buy the emblems, grape juice, some unleavened bread. That doesn't cost a whole lot. And you and I ate freely of it today, hopefully in a worthy manner. And the reason we were able to do this and partake of this and to participate in what is known as the Lord's Supper in a meal with our Heavenly Father is because his son was willing to empty himself and become flesh and come to this earth and shed his blood, God Almighty became flesh and died on a cross for us sinners so we could be saved for an eternity and do away with the penalty of Adam and our sin. If you've not accepted This Lord and Savior, if you've not put him on in baptism, if you've not surrendered your life completely to him, there'd be no better time than right now than to do that while we stand and sing.